Luke chapter 6, verses 43 to 49. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person, out of the good treasure of his heart, produces good. And the evil person, out of the evil treasure, produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I'll show you what he's like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. For wheat farmers, one of the main weed control challenges has always been black oats. Uh, wheat and black oats, they're not only from the same family, they're from the same subfamily. And so that means it's got to be a pretty special sort of a herbicide to be able to take out the black oats without also damaging the wheat. But it also means that particularly when the plants are young, it's pretty hard to tell them apart. But if you, if you have a close look, you can tell because wheat, the leaf twists in a clockwise direction, black oats, the leaf twists in an anti-clockwise direction. But apart from that, they look pretty similar but you really notice the difference when they go to fruit. So the seed head is entirely different. And so if a black oat seed head suddenly appears, uh, it's been black oats all along. A, a wheat plant doesn't reach the boot stage and then decide, I'm gonna poke up a black oats head. And, and that's what Jesus is getting at when he's talking about having good trees and bad trees. A good tree does not give bad fruit. And a bad tree isn't going to give you good fruit. And the example is that he gives is you don't pick figs off of the thorn bush. Now, me personally, I'm not really that enthused with Jesus using figs as an example of a good fruit. I, I'm not sure why people actually like figs. Jesus obviously did. Let's do a straw poll. Who likes figs? Both of you. No, four of you do. I've just noticed it's the four oldest people in the congregation like figs okay but so I'm not I'm not a big fig person um, but I'm much happier with the second example you, you don't pick grapes off of a bramble bush does anybody resonate more with that image yeah yeah we get that one but you get the point don't you I, I will produce what I am and not something different to what I am and Jesus uses this exact same analogy at different times to illustrate different topics. The best known example is when Jesus is warning us about false prophets or false teachers. And of a false prophet, he says, by their fruit you will know them. All right, so is that 
prophet or is that teacher true to God's word or are they putting their own spin on it to sort of make it say something different? Or is that, uh, is that person worldly in, how, in what they value and in what they teach or do they truly focus on the kingdom of heaven? Um, and is that person displaying the fruit of the spirit in their own lives? Things like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Right? So, so when it comes to prophets and teachers, whether a godly prophet or a false prophet, by their fruit you will know them. They, they may be able to lead a few folk astray for, for a little while, but if we watch them carefully enough and we watch them for long enough, their true character will ultimately be revealed for what it is. Right? So that's the best known example of how Jesus uses this analogy. But that's not how he's using that analogy here. Right? So I just want you to understand he's using it in a different way here. So how is he using it today? He's using it in relation to who his true disciples are. Right? What it does is it causes us to inspect ourselves to be a fruit inspector, if you like, of ourselves. And it causes us to ask ourselves, am I a true disciple of Jesus? Or am I just going along for the ride? Or am I just having a bit of a look, but not really following Jesus? So let's have a little recap to see where we've gotten to this point. We're in the section of Luke that's known as the Sermon on the Plain. It is one sermon that Jesus gave. And in many ways, it's very similar to the sermon that Jesus gave on the mountain, the Sermon on the Mount, we call it, um, which we can read in the Gospel of Matthew. But there's some important differences. And this is one of the important differences. In Matthew, Jesus is talking about how to identify a false prophet or a false teacher. In Luke, he's talking about who his true disciples are. Last week, we followed on from verses 36 to 42, and in it, Jesus took us on a journey to personal holiness. It starts out by, by saying that disciples of Jesus are going to be like their heavenly father, right? Um, God is merciful. Our father is merciful. Let us, therefore, also be merciful. So that's where it begins. And then sort of leads us on that we know that a disciple won't be above his teacher. But Jesus told us that a disciple, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. And then he gave us the example of when we notice the speck in our brother's eye, but we don't notice that the, the log in our own eye. And Jesus basically says, you, you hypocrite. First, take that dirty, great big log out of your own eye, and then you'll be able to see clearly to be able to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Right? So the journey that Jesus brought us on thus far is a journey to personal Christ-likeness. As you and I follow Jesus Christ, and as we learn from Christ, because that's what disciples do, they follow and they learn by the Holy Spirit inside of us, we will be becoming like Christ. Um, the big theological word for that is sanctification. Right? Sanctification is the way the Holy Spirit transforms us to become more like Christ. 
And it's a personal holiness. It's not about us pointing the finger at everybody else and go, oh, you need to fix that in your life and you need to fix that in your life. So that's where we sort of got to last week. And the very first word of today's reading is for. Now, the word for, that does not mean that we're now leaving that topic and we're going on to the next one. The word for is a connecting word. And actually, it's more than connecting. It's the because, right? This is the reason that we should be on a journey to personal Christ-likeness. It's because good trees don't bear bad fruit. You're a good tree. Did you know that? I want you to see yourself as a good tree. If you do not see yourself as a good tree, this is, none of this is going to make any sense. By the blood of Jesus, how, how did we become good trees? How did we become good? I know that at one time I was evil. At one time I was alienated from God. At one time I was like an enemy of God. But Jesus is telling us here we're good trees. How did that happen? By the blood of Jesus and by the saving mercy of God, we have been made good. He's taken the evil away. He's forgiven us of our sins. And if we are good, then there's something really wrong about bearing bad fruit. You with me? That's what Jesus is showing us here. The good person out of the good treasure in his heart produces good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. What do we treasure? If I treasure what is evil, that's what I will produce, evil. But what is the good treasure that is in our heart? What's Jesus talking about here when he's talking about the treasure? Well, let me put it this way. If I am a Christian, what is the mark of being a Christian? There is something which distinguishes a Christian from everybody else. So if Lance gets some cattle, what is the mark that, that marks his cattle as being his? A brand? An earmark? Dries is shaking his head. A Nils tag. A Nils tag. Right? All those things, they mark them as belonging to Lance. How does Dryzy tell his stock from Adre's stock? Different brand, different earmark, whatever. What's the mark of us becoming Christians? Is it that I've been baptised? No, there's a lot of people who have been baptised who are not Christians. Is it because I've said the sinner's prayer? No. Becoming a Christian is much more than a matter of words. Is it because I go to church? Probably not. There's a lot of unbelievers who go to churches at various times. How does God brand, how does God mark those who are truly his? I'll tell you how. He deposits a treasure in us. What is that treasure? Any ideas? He fills us with his Holy Spirit. God himself, by his Holy Spirit, 
comes and lives inside of us. This is his deposit. This is his guarantee that we belong to him. Now, there's no greater treasure. There's no greater honour than being filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, when a house has had a bad tenant, a very messy tenant, have you ever been into a house that's just come out of um, being tenanted by somebody really messy and grubby? Some of you have, some of you haven't. Yeah. Um, that house might have been left really grotty and really messy, but then somebody else either buys that house or moves into that house, what are, and, and this person is known for their tidiness and there's really spick and span. What do they do as soon as they get that house? They rip out everything that's grubby. They get in and they scrub and scrub and clean. They might splash a bit of paint around. They might fix a few things that are falling down. Now, that's what God does when he moves into us. Right? At one time we were evil, we were messy grots as far as our holiness can, is concerned. But when God moves in by his Holy Spirit, he completely transforms the place. He might even put up new curtains. Now some people believe that the evidence of being filled with the Holy Spirit is the gifts of the Spirit. So some people will say, oh, you know, you, you've got to speak in tongues. If you can't speak in tongues, then you're not filled with the Holy Spirit. Don't believe that for a minute. That's the exact opposite of what the Scriptures teach. But some people might be looking for other spiritual evidence, you know, somebody that can prophesy or somebody who has the gift of the gab or somebody who has a charismatic personality or someone who is just an all-round attractive person that people like to be around. Is, is that evidence that that person is filled with the Holy Spirit? No. Because all of those things can be faked and all of those things can be mimicked by the devil. How do we know if a person is filled with the Holy Spirit? They produce the fruit of the Spirit. The very character of Jesus develops in those who are truly his disciples. And what are the fruit of the Spirit? Love joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And at this point, Jesus makes a very special mention of what we say. He said, for out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Did you know that your mouth is your overflow point of your heart. So when it rains, the rainwater fills up my rainwater tank and when it's full, something comes out of the spout. What comes out of the spout? No, no it's not dead moisturizer. I, I have a very nice crystal clean, clean um, holy rainwater tank. What comes out of my rainwater tank? Rainwater, rainwater. It's not rocket science. <laughs> I was waiting for you to say dead frogs, but no, you, you went one better, mice. Okay. Yep, rainwater comes out. What happens when a septic tank fills up and it reaches the overflow point, which point it's going to run out into the soakage pit? 
What, what comes out of that overflow spout of the septic tank? Is it rainwater? Drysy thinks so. It might have a bit of rainwater with it. Robin said, yucky stuff. Yeah, a mixture of, of decomposing poo and wee, to put it simply. Why? Because that's what it's full of. And so if my mouth is the overflow of my heart, if when I speak my words are crude and filthy, what is that an indicator that my heart might be filled with? Crud and filth. Um, and if when I speak, I have, my words are angry and bitter. What's that indicating that my heart is filled with? Anger and bitterness. If when I speak, my words are, are, are judgmental and condemning, what is that indicating about my heart? It's full of judgment and condemnation. But if my words are kind and loving, What's that indicating about my heart? Filled with kindness and love. If my words are, are merciful and gracious, what's that indicating? Perhaps my heart's filled with mercy and grace. And so when it comes to a bit of self-awareness of where we're at with God, a pretty simple and easy test is what we do with our words. The words we use, the conversations we hold, the jokes we make, even the jokes we laugh at, they, they reveal a lot about our spiritual state. What our heart is filled with is what will overflow through the mouth. And so if our hearts are, are filled with praise and thanksgiving, what's going to come out? Worship. Worship of our God. Right. So if this section is about who Jesus's true disciples are, what makes the difference? Why is it that some folk will make a decision, I'm going to be a Christian? They might even believe that Jesus died for their sins. You know what? Even the devil believes that Jesus died for your sins. They might have prayed... God, forgive me for my shortcomings. They might have even been baptised. But why is it that so many folk might get that far, but their professed faith seems to make no difference in their life? Why is it they don't seem to follow Jesus? Why is it that their behaviour does not change and they're no different to anybody else in the world. Essentially, why is it that Christ-likeness is missing and worldliness abounds? Bad trees bear bad fruit. You see, that's the difference between a hearer and a doer. Jesus hit the nail on his head when he said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Right? It, it, he's talking to people who, who actually call him Lord. By their words, they call him Lord. A double measure of it, Lord, Lord. 
but you don't do what I tell you to do. And he told the story about the wise man who built his house on the firm foundation of the rock. He dug down to get to the foundations of the rock. And then the foolish man who didn't dig down for his foundations, he just built his house on top of the dirt. And then how a, a creek came up and it broke its banks and the flood water hits. And of course the house that had been dug, had its foundations dug down deep, stood while the other one fell over. Now when most people hear that, their response is, ah, right, I've got to build my life on the foundation of the Word of God. It's about knowing stuff. It's about hearing and knowing the, the words of Jesus. But that's falling far short of the point that Jesus is making here. The foolish man heard the words of Jesus. The foolish man knew the words of Jesus because he heard them. He did not do them. Building on the firm foundation, digging down to lay the foundations in solid ground is hearing the words of Jesus and doing the words of Jesus. Jesus has been teaching us what it looks like to be his disciple. We have no right to call Jesus Lord if we do not do what he says. For Jesus to be Lord, it's not just a name. For Jesus to be Lord means that he is master, he is boss, he is the king who, who must be obeyed. And so if we come here today and we, we sing a song and we name Jesus as Lord, but we don't do what he says, then that's a lie. Right at the start of Jesus' sermon here, um, in verse 18, we're told that a, a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all over the place came to hear him, right? So that's how the sermon begins. And now this is how it ends. At the end of the sermon, Jesus says, everyone who comes to me and hears my words, right? So it begin, it's like a set of brackets. The sermon begins with all of these people came to hear him. And at the end, everyone who hears my words and does them, that's the wise. They're the ones who are digging down to the foundation to come and hear the words of Jesus and not do them. That's just stupid. It's idiotic to hear the words of Jesus, to hear the most wise words of, of our Saviour and King, the one whose feet we sit at and learn from, to hear his words and not do them. That's just stupid. And that's what makes a true disciple. They come to Jesus not only to hear his words, but to follow Jesus and to follow his teaching. You know, the, the teaching that Jesus has given in this sermon, there's been some really tough stuff in it. There's been some very confronting stuff which helps us to realise, ha, there's a fair bit of ungodliness in me yet. Now, the prideful side of us might go, 
Yeah, I'm not that bad, really. Nothing to learn here. I'll just move on. The worldly side of us might say, oh, it's just too hard. I can't do that. The lazy side of us might say, big job. Ah, there's always the grace of God. The grace of God will do me. But the evidence of being a Christian is what? Having the Holy Spirit in our hearts. And how does the Holy Spirit make us respond to this teaching of Jesus? The Holy Spirit in us causes us to pray, Lord, come alive in me. Display your grace and your mercy in my life. Lord, I'm going to do my best to follow you, but Lord, I know that I will fall. Lord, forgive me when I fall. Forgive me when I sin. And as I follow you and as you transform me, may I become more and more like Christ every day. That's how the Holy Spirit causes us to respond. And this is my prayer for every one of us, uh, for our fellowship here of Bush Disciples, and for everyone who's listening to this teaching online, that we would be disciples in the true sense of the word, that we wouldn't just be hearing the teaching of Jesus, but that we would be doing it, living by the Spirit, with the fruit of the Spirit evident in our lives, more and more every day. That's my prayer. Amen.